All right. We are still not quite back in John. You've got to wait one more week. Um, next week will be John chapter 7, um, Lord willing. And so you can uh, study ahead. You can, let's not consider cheating in church. You're allowed to look ahead at the work and um, do that. <clears throat> what we've been doing the last couple of weeks um, with John Keeling and I up here on stage, we were, we were looking at the Jewish feasts and festivals so that we better understand the context, for example, of the book of John. And one of the things that stood out was this pattern of remembering the past, celebrating what God has done, and seeing what he's doing, and then looking to the future and, and hopeful anticipation of what he's going to do um, in faith. And so um, we have a few things I want to jump into today and talk about, and I want to give you guys kind of an update to kind of do that. So today and then Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we'll be doing some more of this as well um, as a celebration kind of of what God has done and what he's been doing and where we are on some things and looking forward into the future. <clears throat> so you can go ahead and start running those flyers. Uh, so one of the things as we started looking, um, and I asked uh, John Redford, I was like, hey, look, look into the files and find um, old sermon headings and events and activities and, and all kinds of stuff flyers and logos and well it turns out there were a lot of them um th this is only like 60 of them that are going to run through right now but but it is it's amazing some of them are pretty awful like they're, they're, as we looked at like wow that was that was a terrible idea anyway but um but most of them um are really really cool to look at and realize this kind of stuff that god has taken us through studying scripture um with life groups um with activities and events and and all kinds of stuff um, one of the, some of the ones that, that stood out, boy, it's amazing how long that goes. Some of the ones that, um, that stood out to us as we were wrapping them up, um, were the ones connected to our, um, our purpose statement, our vision, purpose slash mission, all of that, that we exist, that we exist to live, teach, tell, and tell the gospel that all may know the living God. And so one of the last sermon series that I got to team teach with Pike Wisner, who is uh, for those of you who don't know, was, was the lead pastor here when we were First Baptist South Campus, and now he's downtown full-time. And um, uh, Anyway, so with one of the last ones we got to teach was through the Live, Teach, and Tell series together. So we had Live, which was to live a life of worship and wisdom. Um, this was that we, we taught through that. And then we had Teach. In other words, to teach a lot, a teaching is a life of submission and shepherding. And then um, Tell, which is a life of courage and compassion. Um, and so this is, this is our, our mission statement. This is why we exist, to live, teach, and tell the gospel, and all, the know the, all may know the living God. And also as a side note, so another update, I still have lunch with Pike about once a month. And, uh, and yes, um, I invite him regularly to come and preach uh, here, and he has not worked that into his schedule yet. So feel free to harass him a little about that if you know Pike, that, that uh, he's been invited many times, and I think he's kind of nervous to leave his pulpit downtown, but that's a... Uh, he didn't have anyone trustworthy to, to cover it like I have him to cover mine. So some of y'all will get that in a second. Um, so um, we invest in one another. Why do we do this? Why do we want to do this? What is it about our mindset? And there's a lot of different ways we could answer this, a lot of different ways. Um, there, there's a specific way that I like to be reminded of it. What is our mindset? What is different? What causes us to want to do this in the lives of the students and the children and one another. And so there's a, a really short video that I like to show that expresses my perspective on this. Um, and and I'll, so many of you have seen this multiple times, um, but I still think it has its value. So run that sucker. Before I tell you what I know about this uh, weaving here, you've got a little bit of history. It sounds uh, quite interesting. First tell me what you know about it. Well, I don't know an awful lot about it, except that uh, it was given by Kit Carson uh, whoever I'm sure everybody knows uh, in his history, given to the foster father of my grandmother. Is and it's not just a chief's blanket; it's the first type of chief's blanket made. These were made in about 1840 to 1860, and it's called a Ute first phase. A Ute. A Ute first phase wearing blanket. Wow. And not only that, the condition of this is unbelievable. It's extremely rare. It is the most important thing that's come into the roadshow that I've seen. Um, do you have a sense at all of what we're looking at here in terms of value? I haven't a clue. Are, uh, are you a wealthy man, Ted? No. Well, sir, um, I'm, I'm still a little nervous here, I have to tell you. Uh, 
On a really bad day, this textile would be worth $350,000. On a good day, it's about a half a million dollars. Oh, my God. You had no I, idea. I, I had no idea. I just laying on the back of a chair. Well, sir, you have a national treasure. Wow. can't believe it. My grandmother, you know, were poor farmers. I'm, I'm amazed. I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it actually ended up selling at an auction for $1.8 million, um, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> so um, I'm hoping, I'm very hopeful that Ted, uh, as a Christ follower, I look for, I owe him a lot of drinks in heaven as many times as I've used his video. Uh, <clears throat> um, you can imagine, maybe, or maybe you can imagine, um, the question I like to ask, the questions I like to ask following this, one is, do you think, Ted, that, that Ted folded that blanket back up and laid it back over the back of the chair when he got back home? I think you can probably safely assume, no, that's not at all what happened. And see, when I'm, when I'm speaking about specifically, and sometimes this becomes the cornerstone, especially in a therapeutic conversation that I have, I'm a cornerstone. But the second question is, what's the, what, do you, what do you think was the value of that blanket all those years just laying there gathering dust on the back of that chair? And I think the instinctive reaction, intuitive reaction for a lot of us is to go, which is the most common answer I get by far, is to go like, no, no, well, it wasn't valuable all those years. Because something intuitively about us tells us that what changed on the day of the Antiques Roadshow was the value of the blanket. But is that what changed on the day of the Antiques Roadshow? No. What changed was the ignorance of the owner. I couldn't have scripted Ted. Literally, if I'd sent in a script, it would have been inferior to Ted's script. Are you a wealthy man, Ted? No. Actually, Ted, you're doing pretty well. You have a national treasure laying over the back of your chair. My grandparents are just poor farmers. Actually, they were actually doing pretty well. They had a national treasure laying over the back of their chair. Um, this is a, it's, a, it's an amazing principle that we often don't get and that our culture doesn't get at all. Is this idea, you can imagine in a, in a conversation with someone who has been abused or neglected as a child or who was teased or bullied or mocked as a kid or who was abandoned and left by key people in their lives, the value of saying, look at this, understand this truth. There was never anything wrong with the treasure. The treasure wasn't the problem. The owner was the problem. In fact, this, this teaching, Jesus teaches this almost identically in a parable. In, uh, in the book of Matthew. And so in Matthew, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man found in a field, which he then buried. Then with great joy, he goes and sells all he has in order to buy the field. Now, it's amazing what Jesus doesn't say in here because he knows we're intelligent enough to understand it. The man's buying the field. He sold everything he had to buy the field because what he wanted was the treasure, and he wanted to authentically own the treasure, so he buys the, buys the field. But realize there's someone in this story who sold a field with a treasure in it. Who sells a field with a treasure in it? Well, someone who's ignorant. Who doesn't know that their field has a treasure in it, right? Does it make sense? We invest in one another and in our community and in our teens and in our children the way we do because we're not ignorant. We know their treasure. That is a fundamental belief of what it means to be a Christ follower is to understand that other people are treasure and that we have the opportunity to invest in one another and in our community and here most powerfully in the lives of the young people who God keeps sending our way. This is a privilege we have to get to invest in treasure. It's such a huge opportunity. We, we, a lot of us were raised to believe we were kind of burdens, but burden is a neutral word. So if I have a stack of gold up here and I say, hey, you get to carry home as much as you want, how much would you take? All you could carry, and gold's heavy. It's a kind of a burden. You probably don't want to carry that kind of burden. Burdens are bad. Well, not if they're treasure, they're not. If it's gold, it's a good burden. That's the idea. Of course, it's hard work to work with kids or to work with young people or to, or to work with each other or to tolerate each other or to whatever together. Of course, that's hard work. Of course, that's a burden. But it's a burden of treasure. And we know this. Therefore, that's why we do what we do. And you ask the question, how do we do it? Even the why connected to the how is still going to come back to this. God has declared that we are treasure. 
We're created in his image, and he treasures us, and we have the opportunity to invest in that. This, is a, this was a, something that the psalmist was begging for. Listen to this in Psalm 71. O God, from my youth you've taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Listen to the desperation. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to all those to come. That should be our prayer. We should have, we have the opportunity. Hey, good news. We're going to give you the opportunity as I build through this. If you're a member of this church, we graciously give you the opportunity to proclaim God's might to another generation every single Sunday morning. We give you the chance to do, for some of you to do that on Wednesday night or during the week. And we're not talking about just your kids. You get to do that every day but to proclaim God's might to another generation in large groups. We offer that here. Think about the investment value in this. Many of you know this. You know this, even if you forget it. Uh, Pat Livingston, who was my Sunday school teacher growing up, Miss Pat, raised us on the flannel graphs and the stories of the Bible. And man, I loved those things growing up. I learned to love the Bible stories growing up. I only understood them as these independent stories. I'm actually confessing to you that I did not understand many of them were the same people until I got to seminary. Like I didn't know the child, Jacob, was the same person as the adult, Jacob, in the Bible until I got to seminary and started putting the pieces together. I read them, even when I read them on my own, I read them as independent stories all during my childhood. Um, for some of you, you're just now realizing that. Hey, guess what? It's, a, it's actually a long, linear story, of a, mostly of one family. Um, okay, so... Um, this is a powerful thing. Ms. Pat invested the love of Scripture and the Bible stories in me. Where, where would I be without Ms. Pat? Would I love the truth of Scripture? Would I love the power that these stories reveal? Would I love teaching through a gospel the way that I do if it wasn't for her? I doubt it. Seriously. God put her in my life to do that. So how many of you have worked with youth, with, with minors, with youth or children um, in our church, in our setting, for the, in the last seven years? Let me see hands. Raise my pie. Okay, a lot. And, and the opportunities continue to grow. There continue to be these opportunities. This morning in the first service, we took a few minutes um, to honor our longest-term constant workers. I mean, every Sunday. Um, every single Sunday. And there may be more than these. These just kind of, we just suddenly realized this, this last week as we are talking about this. Um, but David and Marcia Groves, <clears throat> have, we don't know how long they've been working um, with the children. We know they've been working here ever since this place um, we started having this. And they're better known by their, to, their, to the youth. Some of the youth, how, how do you better know them as? Nani and G-Daddy, that's right. <laughs> that's how they're known. With the help of Susan Richardson, who is also can't be here today, um, they have served them essentially every single Sunday, at least for the last seven years. Now, in that period of time, by the way, uh, we struck this morning, they were surprised by this, and I was like, it's amazing the photos you can find online of people. Um, <laughs> so, Ed Nolan has, needs to do a little filtering of what's online about him, just hire one of those services. But uh, honestly, Ed, Ed helps run our Royal Family Kids Camp, and when you're at Royal Family Kids Camp, you, you get desperate to entertain the kids sometimes, so there you go. There's Ed. Um, no, so they have been every single Sunday for the last, they, and here, listen to this, their class has split three or four times, um, in the good version, not the normal church version of a split, but the, um, they were the ones and twos when they took them seven years ago here, at, or longer ago, then they became the twos, then they became the older twos. Um, so we realized that, we, we did a little bit of math and realized that this couple has invested and taught at least easily 150 different children in the last seven years. That is investing in the next generation. And by the way, did you, hear those, did you hear those ages? Ones and twos, twos and older twos. Not only have they invested every week, but they've invested in two-year-olds. I think a sainthood comes automatically with that. Like I think three years in a row of working with you, right? Um, 150 different kids. The first Sunday that Rebecca and I were, so we're looking back. The first Sunday that Rebecca and I were here, which is seven, almost seven years ago now, <clears throat> the first grade class, which was in the under two class, that means nothing to me, but she said it would mean a lot to those of you who work with the children, like the idea that our first graders could fit in our under two class. Okay, so there were less than 10 of them that Sunday, less than 10 of the first grade class. They are in eighth grade now, 
And there are over 50 first graders now. So five times plus as many. We used to have nine adult Sunday school classes that met in the education building just seven years ago. Now, zero. No room. Um, we used to have two offices in this building. Those were the days. Staff had offices. I'm just going to enjoy that thought from my, my memory for a second. Um, now, none. No offices. This is, that is not, that is, that, that structure, the way the children has, this ministry has continued to grow and grow. It's part of why we don't call it children's ministry. I mean, we don't call it um, child care ever here is because of some of the stuff we're talking about. But, so, we now have, if you can imagine, um, the student ministry. Last spring, our largest Wednesday night was 80-something students showed up. Our first Wednesday night last week with the students was 119 students showed up. Um, we now have regularly in the area of about 200 students on Sunday morning, and that doesn't, we're not just, we're not, and that doesn't count the wasps. We're not counting them at all. We didn't, we left them totally out of this. On a regular Sunday morning, you ready for this one? On a regular Sunday morning, we have about 430 children. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, you look around at your neighbors and tell them, maybe stop having so many children. Um, <laughs> um, this, is, this is an amazing opportunity. The first service, what I said there, we had 200 students. They, were like this, they, they all clapped. And then I said, and 430 children. There was like just this dead silence in the room. Like, what? Um, is God, God is answering our prayer that we would have the chance to proclaim his might to the next generation before we die. That is a huge opportunity for us to get to do that. Um, this is a, it now takes about 250 leaders um, to run our children's ministry on a given Sunday, on a, across a year. A given Sunday morning, it's 80-something people every Sunday morning. This is an, these are awesome celebrations that God has brought us to this place. Um, a few years ago, we started developing a master plan, and we called it the City on the Hill campaign. Um, I know I told you I'm doing things out of order. Sorry, David. You got me. He's quick. This came from the passages that Jesus teaches in Matthew. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. The same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we sat and met and prayed through that passage and talked about that, and we had all these different ideas um, for what a long-term master plan would look like, and that's all it is, is a, is a kind of a hope looking into the future. At that time, the, the, most of them were, were centered around the idea of building up on top of this hill here. That was part of the city on a hill mindset. That's what made sense, and yet the one we ended up choosing, actually the buildings wrap around this field um, is the idea that we have. Again, you don't need to know, if, you, if you're new around here, this would not, you're not going to see a lot of this, but this was a, this was a long conversation about two years ago as we, as we worked through this stuff and came to the agreement. This, is, this was the format that we would like to do, and here's part of the interest is because we realized that the idea that people come to church because they see a church is badly outdated. People don't come to church because they see a church. They come to church because they met someone from that church. They get to know someone from that church or that church's reputation in the community. That's what causes people to visit a church, not because there's a big steeple that sticks way up in the sky. There was a day for that. There was a day when people drove around looking for a steeple so they would know where to go to church, listening for the bells to ring. We aren't there anymore. Now people come to church because someone has inspired them to come. The irony of the name that we'd planned, that we'd called it City on a Hill, but the truth is we're the city on the hill, not a building. It's not the building that's a city on the hill. It's us. Um, these possibility dreams about the future were added to the immediate necessities. It was clear where we were. We realized that space to minister well to the children and families that God keeps sending us is what we needed to focus our attention on. And the fact that one of the things that we are um, intentional about here is trying to create a, a home for people who have high needs, extra need, special needs, kids, or kids from tough places. It's so hard to find a church when you have that in your family, when you have that situation in your family. 
Because so often, unintentionally, I think, many times unintentionally, churches create a system where, well, if you show up, you're supposed to already have it all together. Otherwise, we don't want you here. Sometime last couple of weeks, someone sent me, I was aggrieved by this, and I don't know what church and wouldn't want to know, but sent me, they sent me a photo of a bulletin of a church that the people had put an insert, the church had put an insert in a bulletin saying, hey, make sure and control your kids during the service. We don't want them making noise or acting up and distracting people around you. And listen, of course we want to help train everybody on how to be better parents and how to discipline our kids well and, and handle all that kind of stuff really well and intentionally. But the thought that we would be teaching children from the age of the time they were children, that you're not supposed to be here unless you already have it all together, that you're not here to become disciplined, you're supposed to be disciplined before you show up. Wow, that seems like a bad idea to me. And so instead to say, this, this is our heart, is we want to create a place where we can do that even better, where the children know that the church is a place where they are welcome and welcome to be imperfect, flawed, dysfunctional people just like the rest of us. That they would know that. That's, that's part of what we want to accomplish. As we talked through this, you may remember, we talked about during the City on the Hill conversation, we talked about being servants and stewards, what that means. Um, we talked about this idea of a mustard seed. So the idea of that if you take a mustard seed, we, we learn from Jesus' words here, that you take a mustard seed, that a single mustard seed becomes a single mustard stalk. Next pick. Thank you. That that's what it looks like. Well, that's no tree. Jesus refers to a tree, a mustard tree. So in order to get a mustard tree, what you have to do is you have to bring a whole bunch of those stalks together and you end up with what's called a mustard tree, which is a great, it can grow almost anywhere and when they grow together like that. It's an even better picture than maybe you realized when Jesus taught about this. We talked about Gideon and the idea of Gideon taking, of God taking Gideon with a very small number. Maybe you remember us breaking the, the jars, the vases up here on stage and, and having the lights inside of it as we talked about that. And we ended that Sunday with a challenge. The challenge was that not in numbers, we're, we, at no point in this conversation have we been stressed about numbers. That's God's problem, the, the dollars, the nickels. But instead we said what we want is a sense of involvement, of a full community involved in this decision on moving forward on how we're going to do this. And so the challenge at the time was, well, if 300 plus Gideon was enough for God with Gideon, then maybe 300 giving families um, plus one would be, would be good for us. So we settled on 301 families. And at the time, I could probably figure it out based on the cuts and the little people. Somewhere around here, we were at about 200, maybe a little over 210 <laughs> at the time. And 300 seemed, I will tell you, seemed unrealistic at the time. It seemed unfeasible at the time. Um, I finally stopped getting reports when we got to about 330 giving families invested in the, again, if, whether it was 10 cents or $100,000, it didn't matter, to this building project up the hill that you've seen. In fact, this afternoon, um, from 4 to 5.30, if you would like, um, you can come by and we will have, a, if it's not raining, if it's raining, don't come. Uh, but if it's not raining, we're going to have a time of, to come and pray, come and go, between 4 and 5.30, come, pray. We're going to have Sharpies and hard hats and you can go in and write on the walls and, and the pillars, Bible verses and prayers and that kind of stuff for that building. Um, if, it, if it gets canceled day, we'll just do another time. But... Um, that's going to be going on today. Our hope is that, and there may be more of you, there may be some of you who are saying, like, I've joined the church since this was done, or I've become part of the church. I would like to give to that. You still can. There's a team that'll be outside at the end who you can talk to them, or you can email anybody on the back of the bulletin, and we'll help you make that connection. Um, but continuing to talk about where God has brought us, um, just to make sure you know. So here's the update on that. Um, the church approved... Um, the, the budget plan of about, I think it's 4.3, maybe we said 4.4, but the plan of 4.3, 4.4 million dollars is what it would cost to build that building. It's a lot of money, and we're not that big a church. Um, so that was the plan. Now, we had already saved up till that time through gifts from the past and overages of budgets and things like that, in the good direction of overages of budgets, we had saved in the area of about a million dollars. Already were in place. Gifts from before, that kind of stuff that we were holding on to for this day. About a million dollars had already been saved. At the time, three point, as of right now, about $3.2 million have been pledged, which takes us to about $4.2 million. And somewhere in the area of 200000 has been given that was not pledged, which totals us out at about $4.4 million. It is looking like um, if, other, if, new people, if a few new people decide they want to get involved and the people who pledged pledge that we'll be able to finish that $4.4 million building 
to have a, a building dedicated to the grade school kids of our church, that we'll be able to do that in the next few months absolutely debt-free. That's the plan. Which is pretty cool. Um, and in fact, if you did, uh, if you did pledge, or if you would like to do so, or to give to that building campaign, um, this first step of the city on a hill. If we do the rest of it, um, is um, here's even extra cool news: is it looks like there's a very real possibility that we could build it without even any construction debt. In other words, no debt even during the process of construction which is, those of you who are in the building world know that's uncommon. And so, um, so if that's, that's a challenge. If you've pledged and you've got that money and you would like to go ahead and, and speed up your pledge a little bit, or if you're someone who would like to invest in this and the ministry that it represents, and you do that sooner rather than later, uh, we may be able to not ever pay even a penny of debt, which would be um, pretty cool. This is, the, this is the passage that came to mind, Nehemiah 4, 6. So he built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. That is a cool passage, and it is applied to this church from the time um, I was first speaking to um, First Baptist South Campus. So a reminder to continue to give to pledges faithfully, encouragement to get on board if you haven't. Um, there's always new and, and better things if we come in over that we can do. Um, there's always stuff that's been cut that we could put back in. And now we want to look forward to what God is going to be doing um, in the midst of all this celebration, as we've just talked about, the amazing stuff that we've seen. And we talked about, listen, in John 6, we talked about, if you weren't here, these are, these are fun to talk about the nickels and the nails and the noses. That's fun to talk about when, when things are growing and that kind of stuff. No doubt, it's fun, and we celebrate that. Praise God for what he has done. At the same time, remember that growth is not somehow morally right. Um, growth, growth is, obedience is morally right. Obedience is our measure of success. We obey Christ. If he decides to grow us in that, great. But remember, Christ himself started one day in John chapter 6 with tens of thousands of followers and ended the day with somewhere between 12 and 72 total followers. Um, that is not a good program for church growth. It is, however, what happens sometimes when you tell the truth. And when you teach the truth. So obedience is our highest calling. Right now, the fact that we get to celebrate growth is a bonus. One of the things we're going to change moving forward, and I've already done it two or three times uh, today, made this mistake, so I'm chief of sinners here. I want to take the word vo volunteer out of our language as much as possible when we talk about working in the church. It just feels wrong to me. And it communicates something I don't think it's intended to communicate, um, but somehow it's, it kind of does. Here's what I mean. Um, Volunteer to me, when we say, hey, I'm a member of this church and I'm volunteering to do something in the church, that sounds to me like when someone says, hey, Chris, are you babysitting your kids this weekend? And I'm like, well, they're, they're my kids. I can't babysit my kids. I think the other day, in fact, Ginger was doing something and Michael was like, is daddy babysitting us? I was like, no, no, you're my kid. I don't babysit you. I'm just being your dad. Like, this is how this works. But it strikes me as weird. If this is the church that God has given us that we're stewarded with and we're members, it feels weird to me for us to use the word volunteer. That's be like me saying, like, hey, honey, I'm volunteering to do the dishes tonight. You should be like, well, they're your dishes. Like, what's, yeah, right, good. I'm volunteering to mow the lawn. I'm going to, I am a volunteer. I'm volunteering to mow the lawn. It's your lawn. Well, I mean, it just feels weird to me. So I want to get away from, aside from the fact that, and, and listen, I know how many times something shows up in Scripture is not necessarily a big teachable moment or something. But it struck me, so I looked. The word volunteer shows up in the English Standard Version only once the entire Bible um, and it's about volunteering for war. <coughs> um, but the word teacher shows up 325 times, shepherd 308 times, leader 470 times, and servant 2,363 times. And so it struck me that it would be cool. Again, there's all different <laughs> applications of that word. It's used all over the place. But it struck, it struck me that maybe staying away from volunteering, maybe we need to stick instead with words and talk about our children's leaders or those who are serving our youth, or those who are being shepherd, that we're shepherding one another. Um, maybe those are better words. And so I want to get away from the word volunteer because I think it communicates that somehow we're doing God a favor rather than recognizing, I hope, that you have begged God to give you the opportunity to invest in eternity. And that out of the generosity of his grace and mercy, he has given you this place as one of the places to do that. Not the only place. I hope you're doing it in other areas in the community and in the kingdom, but that, that mindset would be a reversal that you would recognize God has given you this opportunity, so we need to be taking up on it. 
Right now, I said it takes 250 liters. Sadly, we don't have, let's do the children's screens, if you can find those. We're still not there. We need 70 more people to be serving, leading, shepherding, teaching in the children's ministry right now. So this is a huge opportunity for people. We need 70. In the first service, um, during the first service, we need another 30 people. And in the second service, we need another 40 people. So some of you who are here right now shouldn't be. You should be working with the children right now. Um, here's, here's what I mean. <laughs> this is part of our, um, we minister to them, we follow them, we follow in such a way as to create followers. We, we want to engage with them, to lead them. We're creating disciple makers. This is one of the key passages that we have here. Um, I've, we've referenced a few of the most important ones. With the exception of Deuteronomy 6, we're really hitting the most important ones that we come back to over and over again. Ephesians 4.11 um, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then it goes on to, to the measurements of these successes until we <coughs> attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and mature, maturity as adults and all this kind of stuff that we would no longer be children. This is who we are. And when we use the term, every member is a minister, this is what we mean. What we mean is you, you've hired a certain number of us not to do the ministry of the church. Understand, that's not what you've hired us to do. This was my very first sermon at this church in view of a call. If you're not Baptist, you don't know what that means. It just means they were evaluating to see whether to, to ask me to come be the preacher or not. But in the, in, in the view of that, I came and I preached this. And I said, this, this is so badly understood in most churches that it's like, well, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm paying your salary. You should be doing this stuff for me. You've hired, here's what you've hired us to do. You've hired us to equip you to do the ministry. To equip you to do the ministry. That's what you've hired us to do. Not to do the ministry for you. Not to do it in your name. Not to do it as your representatives. But instead to equip you to do it. And we are always looking for new ways to communicate that within our church. That that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find new ways to equip and more ways to get out of the behavior and the activity and the ministry and instead leaving that to the people here for the members of our church. And this is who we are to the degree. <coughs> when we do ministry with children, we're, even the children aren't just passive, aren't meant to be just passive sponges to the degree they are able. That's why we don't call it child care. To the degree we are able to, to the degree they are able to absorb this, we want them to be equipped for the ministry of the gospel. That we are, everything we do is either equipping or being equipped or accomplishing this ministry. That's what we're trying to do. Um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say this here. That being in mind, that concept being in mind, this is something that we want to accomplish. That as we attain unity through prayer and worship, as we attain maturity and faithfulness and that kind of stuff, here's one of the things moving forward we want you to know. One is, um, you have... Two segments of time on Sunday morning. Um, we, we service one and service two. Time periods, right? But the problem is you've got three options on Sunday morning here at this church if you're a member. If you're a member, you have three options. So one is, one of your options is this, the great room community worship service. Um, a time of general equipping and coming together and worshiping together, etc. Then you have Sunday morning life groups, or Sunday school classes if you prefer, but Sunday morning life groups. We have life groups that meet all week, um, but we have a handful that meet on Sunday morning. They're awesome. Many of them are, are just fantastic, so that you get to be involved in. Third, there is working, serving, shepherding, teaching, all those different things we just talked about, of our young people and or sometimes one another. What we're, what we're moving towards in the future, and I want you to hear, is that of those, here's what, here's what we're, our, the challenge is. As part of the process of you being equipped as a saint, we want you to take the opportunity to actually minister on Sunday morning at least one of those hours at least four months of the year. So that means for four months, four months minimum, we're going to ask that you work on Sunday morning either with the children, and there's plenty of space, 
for that. And it's, and it's not that hard. Listen, what, one of my rules of ministry is that you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the other campers, okay? <laughs> when you're working with like three-year-olds, they're not that fast. I mean, they're fast on foot. Don't get me wrong. Like they're, they're, you have to play zone defense. But, it's a, but, but, but you can teach three-year-olds. I feel like most of you have at least the potential to learn to do that, right? So this is something, or, or whatever grade, elementary school, they, they don't need you to be perfect. They don't need you to have seminary degrees. They don't need you to be complete in your understanding. What they need you to do is to be willing to learn and be equipped and engage. That's what they need. And they need men to do that as well, men. They need to see that. They need to have that modeled for them, that men would step into these roles as well. So our, well, here's, here's what we're saying. The model that's going to work is for four months every year, you are either not in here or not in a Sunday morning life group. That's what we're saying. Moving forward, that the ministers of our church, meaning the members, that for four months out of every year, you're either not in here or you're not in a small, a small group, Sunday morning life group. And my recommendation is you're not in here. That's my recommendation. I love this. Obviously, I believe in this. This is what I'm doing on Sunday morning. But you, you may not need to be doing this on Sunday morning at least four months out of the year. There is growth that I hope and pray happens to the work of the Spirit in your life and here, all of us, on Sunday mornings. But probably the growth in learning to live a life worthy of the calling with which you've been called, that Paul talks about, will happen even more in a small group. Now, if you can find that outside of here on, on Sunday, on, outside of Sunday morning, excellent. Wednesday night or, or, or whenever it is, great. Then, then stay in here, great. But you need to be involved in that small group of believers. And if that needs to be Sunday morning, do that instead of being in here. And for four months, you need to be volunteering. <laughs> See, I just did it again. it. You need to be serving or shepherding or teaching or leading with our kids or as our, as our youth group continues to grow with our youth. There's plenty of opportunity. I, I cannot wait for the day when John comes to me, John Sturrock comes to me, or Rebecca Raines comes to me, or, our, or uh, Aaron Adalian comes to me and says, um, hey, I need you to get up on Sunday morning and say, we're, we're full. Please stop asking me where you can plug in. Um, man, that would be such a cool moment. Um, that is the prayer. So if you're a member of the church, Really, the only reason to become a member of this church is to get to work. There's no other benefits that come with it, really. There's not um, pretty much every other thing you can do, you can do even if you're not a member. So um, that's, that's what it's all about. I really want to encourage that. Here's, here's part of why we want to do this. So my, one of my great, <coughs> if you want to call it fears, one of my great fears began to happen when I decided to study rest for a year, and I realized that there was essentially nothing out there if you were studying rest. And this happened in about 08. I wanted to study rest. And so I was looking, studying it, and there was not much being written about it or anything anywhere. I had to go to Puritan writings. I had to ask friends who were in the Jewish world because there was very, very little. Now, some Christian authors have also caught on to this in the last few years and have started writing more about it, but it's still not super common. That began to scare me. What we have in the Bibles, we have this account um, in 1 Samuel. And, and David, I'm going to do this even slightly out of order, but no, that's good. Start there. I'm going to do this in the order that, that we as Westerners would like it, not in the order that the Jewish people have it written down. So we start with this part of the story. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people of Saul, but with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. So Saul has decided he's going to declare independence from Philistia, and the Philistines are going to declare war on him when he does that. And so they gather up all the men, they gather up all the weapons, they discover that out of thousands and thousands of men, they have two swords. Total. <clears throat> so what Saul does is he tells people, go take your farm implements, your plowshares and the hoe and the mattock and the, and the spikes and everything else, and you turn those, go, go take those and turn them into weapons. So um, if you'll start actually with verse uh, 19 next. Thank you. They discovered they had a bigger problem. Not only did they not have any weapons, but they didn't have any blacksmiths. This is what began to scare me for the church. And this is why these, um, these kind of became a symbol. So um, Paul McKenzie found these on this property. Um, when he knew these, this passage was important, he found these on this property, and he took two of them, and one he left in its plowshare form, and the other he 
heated and hammered into the shape of a sword for me. Ain't it cool when you know people who can do stuff? That's just, that's just always nice. Um, so what happens? The people of Israel, imagine the, imagine the shame in this. So the people of Israel, next verse, the, every one of the Israelites had to go down to the Philistines to sharpen the plowshare or the mattock or the axe or the sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshare and the mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and setting the goads. You know, they had to go to the Philistines and pay them to sharpen their farm tools to use in battle against the Philistines. <laughs> the horror and shame of this is just, it strikes me, and it's my fear that very often, we're only a very short amount of time from as the church losing certain things. So I was not raised on discipleship. The church I went to, you went to church. That's all you did. No one discipled me until I was much older. I didn't know the concept. Well, we could lose that. If we don't have every generation training up the next generation, then we lose that. I think part of what we face, the crisis we faced in marriage, is because the church began to trust people who didn't have any idea what they were talking about, about marriage. And so we got these awful Christian books written about marriage that were just, they were just terrible and toxic in many cases. Because we didn't have anybody who was able to say, like, I don't think that's right. It's like we'd forgotten. And so people who weren't blacksmiths started pounding out weapons. <clears throat> they were bad. I think this is part of what we've got to be as a church, is stepping up and saying, this doesn't happen here. We're a city on a hill. We really are, have a mind to work. The bigger picture of what we're doing, that we would take these four months from the service, or four months from the life, Sunday life groups, and work with the kids and youth. Because here's what I'm telling you, that is what will equip you better. You taking some time, I think of the church very often, we get used to, you go sit in a, in, a, in a life group class and you learn and learn and learn, and that's great. And then you come in here and you learn and you learn and you learn, and that's great. But at some point, if we don't start burning some of those Christian calories, then we turn into these thousand pound Christians sitting in a chair going, no, bring me more food, no, bring me more food. And the Christian life, is meant, this is meant to be a, 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 an input, a time when you come on Sunday morning. And you learn and you grow so that you can then practice that in other places. Here's a great safe place to practice it. This is meant to be a training ground so that you can practice with our, with working with our young people, working with the children, learning how to do these things, serving in hospitality or in other areas, learning how to do these things to kind of develop the skills and get better and better so that when you go practice these things in other settings, you're more prepared to do that. This is part of the equipping. This is, this is, this is skirmish, or what do we call those? Scrimmage, thank you. This is scrimmage time. The real game is outside of here. You come here and you come to practice and you run the drills. That's what we're doing in here. And then scrimmage is working with the kids or working with the, the, the young people or working with each other in classes. And then you get out of here and you leave these safe grounds and you go out there where the real game is being played. Like that's, that's the, the model. So I want to really encourage us to be living this out as we move forward. And by the way, that doesn't just apply to teaching. Some of you are going to notice when you call up and you say, hey, I want to host a birthday party here at the church. Excellent. We, we go through the process. We get that scheduled. And then someone's going to say, here's where the tables and chairs are. Make sure to get here early enough to pull them out and put them up. And then make sure to leave enough time to clean them up and put them up. It's your church. Do we really need to hire somebody to walk around and clean up after us in our own home? Who would encourage that? In us, this ownership, this shepherding, this leading mindset. So, so don't be surprised if ownership becomes part of the conversation more and more and more with what we're doing. And believe me, if you find yourself in a situation going like, I need help, I need help with something. Man, between staff, and we have a, just this massive quantity of deacons who we can call upon and somebody will get up here and help. But that's, that's still an ownership mindset, a shepherding mindset that we're moving toward more and more all the time. So we have, you may have noticed the, the, the I, I was so hesitant to do a single example of this, but I've still got to do a couple. So you may have noticed the, uh, the floors outside are kind of in, our, in the hallways now, are you can, they're kind of reflective, like you can see yourself in them. Just a few weeks ago, you couldn't, right? Um, that's because, yes, Micah McHugh on staff with his leadership, but mostly Evan Reese came up here for hours and polished and waxed the floors, he did such a good job, I'm doubling his pay, tripling it. Let's go with triple. That's right. We'll get some leadership board approval on that. He was volunteering. No, he was leading and serving. It's his church. 
I, I, love the, I love bragging on the grass. Like, the grass looks so good. I'm not even that much of a grass guy. I mean, if you're at my house, you're like, yeah, clearly not. But the, I'm, not, I'm not that much of a grass guy, but I love when it's mowed great, when it's really well done and the, the lines are all cool. It just, it just blows. I'm like, this is so cool. Somebody really believes in this. And that's Chip Pittman, a deacon in our church, too. He comes and does most of the mowing here. We have some other areas like that. Are you someone who likes flower beds? There's, we don't need to be hiring somebody to take care of our flower beds. There are flower beds. Is that something you're passionate about? You can turn over your bulletin. You see Lance Sturrock's name there with an email next to it. Or Clay Alexander's, who, who works with him. Like, Send them an email and say, you know what? Flower beds are my thing. I love flower beds. We pay a lot of money to have the windows washed. Somebody ought to be washing. There's got to be some people in the church who would say, like, I don't be on a team to every couple of times every year or a couple of times, maybe every other month or something. I'll come up and spend time with a team of people and clean windows. That sounds like that. That sounds kind of relaxed. Man, I think, I think Chip would pay us to mow if, we, if I turned it around. And he'd be like, please, can I still mow? I'll pay. Like, it's relaxing. It's a great time to invest and engage. And, and maybe you can't invest and engage in some of the ways you would like to. Maybe God's not gifted you that way or you don't have the financial resources. But to take a little bit of time. And here's what's cool. Bring your kids with you. Teach them that too. That that's part of how this works. There's so many, I, I hate to mention a couple because there's like dozens. I, could, I mean, we were throwing them out examples. After. Some of you guys are so invested and so involved. It's amazing to watch this happen. This is the members equipping and now equipping others. This extra investment, um, I, I, let's see, I had windows, carpets, flower beds, all that kind of stuff. If there's something that you look around and think, like, this, this would be a cool thing to be involved in, to engage in. I want to be a part of this. Send an email to Lance. Lance is a recruiter. He wants to recruit us for these different roles so that we can take them on. Another one, in a minute when we're done, I'm running a little bit long, but in a minute when we're done, I'm going to invite you. So we started, we're starting Wednesday. Here's another example. We're starting Wednesday nights this week, um, which we'll be celebrating some cool stuff too this, this Wednesday night. The more people here, the more fun it is. So I hope you'll be here um, for this. But if you're someone who says like, you know what, I don't have kids that I've got to rush over there to get after this service. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not in some huge, massive hurry. We get done a few minutes early. You can still beat the Methodist to... To traditions, if you, you know, or which witch or wherever you're going, I'm trying to think who else we have in the, you know, corner bakery, um, that you would stay, that you said, I could, st- I could stay 15, 20 minutes. Well, good, you can meet Clay. Hi, Clay. You can meet Clay Alexander over here near the, over here near the front in the prayer, because what we need to do is set up this room for Wednesday night, and we need that every Sunday morning. And if you're someone who would say, like, yeah, I got 10 or 15 minutes, I could do that with, well, if a bunch of people do, we can. It's your church. And it is a much better use of resources for, for a handful of us. Now, if you've got kids, get out of here. Don't want to hear about that from Rebecca or Aaron. If you've got kids over there, don't leave them over there, get, especially since I'm running a little bit behind. Get, get over there, okay? But if, you're, um, if you don't and you've got, a little bit of, you've got 10 or 15 minutes, stay. It's, good. it's also good exercise. A lot of you are trying to lose weight. I know. Great time to do it. Putting up chairs and tables, it's all, it's all extra. We won't even charge you for it. Like we'll, it's it's kind of like, like a workout. Um, you have to pay for that most places. So we want you to do, please do that. I, I mean, honestly, seriously, I, I, we really do need probably at least 10 or 15 people to be standing up here with Clay at the end in order to set up. Um, there's so many of these opportunities, young adults as singles. Um, we have so many different new things going on, exciting things. We run, essentially run small Baptist churches within our church. Some of our life groups are that size. The average church in America is 75 people, not average. The half of the churches are 75 or less. In number, and we have we have life group classes that are larger than that. Like we, this is a really cool what God is doing and giving us the opportunity to invest in one another and to grow one another. Um, if you want to, if you want to do, you can meet us up here at four today to pray and to write um, prayers. I said, like I said, in Bible verses up there. Here's the last thing: the money and the building is actually the easiest part of this stage one of the city on the hill. You got that last screen, the last children's screen. When that building is done. We won't be needing 250 people to lead and teach and shepherd. We're going to need 300 people to lead and teach and shepherd. So we're 70 behind now. We're going to need an additional 50 leader spots for that when we open up over there. And that's including the special needs targeted stuff. Like if that's your heart, we're going to need that. That's who we are. That's what we've determined. This is, the, this is who God keeps sending us are these little knee-high people and these small people that we're to invest in and grow. I mean, I sit up here and I'm looking out at all the, all the young kids in the room. It's so awesome to see you guys. 
Many of them are better at paying attention to taking notes than some of you adults, by the way. So look, they're not distracting you. They're probably guiding you. You need to be watching some of them for that. But the, this is, a, this is a, such a huge opportunity. We're asking for a miracle. I consider 120 more people a miracle. And that's what we're asking for, for us to engage and invest in, a, in these amazing ways. So last words. John, come on up. Here's what I would say and the prayer that we would say as we look at what God has done, thanks be to God for what he has done and that he has allowed us to be involved in it. I'm so appreciative for getting to go through John so far. I'm so appreciative of the amazing things that we get to do and the things even you're going to hear about today. I'm so grateful. I'm looking forward to Wednesday. We can celebrate some of this stuff even more together. And I want us to thank God for what he has done and what he is doing right here in our midst. And then the prayer with eager anticipation for what God is going to do. I didn't think we would get to 301 people invest in that building. I don't know if I have the faith to ask God to send us a total of 120 additional people to lead and shepherd our children, but I'm asking anyway. Mm. Um, and so I'm asking that God would provide that. Today, if you come up or if you stay home or wherever you are, pray that God would, would guide the right people to step in and take these roles to invest in eternity and an eternity in heaven and the next generation on earth. Um, as we have the opportunity to do it. We're so grateful. This is, I put this up here. This is one of Rebecca's reminders. This is the number of marbles, each representing like an hour of how long we have with the kids when they come on Sunday mornings till they're 18. Um, so for us to be able to spend that time intentionally investing and equipping you moms and dads, us moms and dads, to pour into them the rest of the time too. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the goodness of your good gifts. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you. Um, that you have called us and gifted us and chosen us and sealed us. And thank you that you have given us each other so that we can equip each other for your ministry for eternity. If we really believe this stuff, Lord, I pray that we would take the time and energy with what resources we have to invest in your kingdom, whether that's coming up on a Saturday and washing windows and working in flower beds, God, whether that's, um, in addition to that, investing in kids' lives on Sunday morning and teaching them like Miss Pat taught me. Or if that's, Lord, um, being involved in giving, that you've blessed us financially to such a degree that we can give to, to big projects like this and, and be involved in that. Lord, I, you, you know all this stuff, and I don't know any of it. You know exactly, God, but I look around and I see where you have gifted us, and you've gifted us with a lot of young people and with the opportunity to spend a few hours of their lives showing them the might and greatness of who you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would, for each of us who are following your son, answer that prayer, that you'd give us the opportunity to invest and teach about your might and your love and your grace and your strength and your justice, who you are, to another generation before we go down to the grave. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, and the answer to that prayer in your son's name. Amen.